0: And we believe that God's word is trustworthy, good and perfect. It's not deceptive, doesn't contradict itself. And now it is right and proper that we believe this about God's word because this is what God is like. Uh, And so we can take the approach often where we will say, well, this is true of God's word. So we'll take the plain reading of the text in front of us on any given passage and seek to trust that it means what it appears to mean on face value. And this is not a bad thing, right? However, sometimes we can come across passages which are tricky to understand on face value, even if the language is fairly straightforward. So, this is what we come to today in our series, which is finishing up in the letter of James. A very simple passage in terms of the language and the grammar Uh, but in another sense it can be a little bit tricky to understand how it applies today so for example verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the lord will restore them to health a relatively straightforward sentence it's not uh, you don't need to be that far along in school to understand what it means but what is it saying what does it mean to trust this part of God's word today and being true what has prayer and faith got to do with the promise of healing what has sin got to do with sickness it does raise a lot of questions and that's where we're going to be spending our time today thinking about I had hoped that we'd be able to go into the section from verse 17 to the end, which addresses Elijah and his prayers, uh, which was at a time when God and his people were under threat and division and the threat of seeking after other gods. And we'll see a lot of similarities between Elijah and what's being talked about in this passage, but we won't be able to go through that section in as much detail. We'll really be spending most of our time in verses 13 to 16, but I do encourage you to... um, Hustle your home group leaders and have a bit of a chat about that uh, during the week uh, if you'd like to follow that up. But we are thinking about verses 13 to 16 today uh, and before we have a look at that passage let's uh, pray as we're going to see is a key uh, part of what we do as uh, God's people. Let's pray. Uh, Father we ask now that as we come to this part of your your word that you will actually be helping us to understand what you have to say to us particularly in this area of sickness and prayer and faith, uh, an area that is so uh, personal to so many of us, we ask that you'll give us not just clarity on what these words mean, but a confidence and a trust in your goodness and your purposes for us. Amen. So we see in these opening verses, uh, verse 13, that it begins with a connection between... Our personal day to day experience and our posture towards God. So you see there in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. So the experience of suffering leads to a particular posture towards God. We're going to come back uh, to suffering and prayer in a moment, but let's look at the next verse, the next part of the verse. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. That is, it's appropriate to turn to God in praise and song. When our circumstances, our hearts are cheered, it is a Godward attentiveness that shows itself in song. One of the gifts and purposes of music, especially when we gather together, is that it is a way in which an outlet for us to express the cheer that we have on our hearts because of what God has done. We know the difference between saying something in a monotone and singing something in a beautiful chorus. Uh, But singing uh, today is not so much the focus of this passage, uh, prayer and sicknesses, but it is worth noting the idea that the circumstances of our life lead us to a posture towards God. So prayer and sickness, uh, James returns to in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Now the the sickness on view here uh, is most likely some kind of physical sickness, Uh, which, as we're going to see, is intimately connected to uh, what we might call psychological and spiritual weakness as well. But what seems to be on view here is a sickness within the context of a Christian community. So it's not just anybody we know who's sick. Here this section is addressing a part of the local Christian community, anyone among you sick. And what should the sick person do? Reading on. They should call for the elders of the church. Now, the elders are the leaders of the church, and they're not called upon because they have some supernatural power, but because they have a level of responsibility for the welfare and the spiritual health of the church community. So, they call on the elders of the church, and what are they called to do? They should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the lord so two elements we can spot here first of all is prayer over the sick person and second is this anointing the sick person with olive oil in the name of the lord and we're going to return to the praying bit in a moment but let's first consider the olive oil or the oil what's meant by that well, we know throughout the Bible, throughout the Scriptures, uh, oil is used for a variety of purposes, sometimes symbolic, sometimes practical. At a symbolic level, uh, oil was used often to symbolise the indwelling of God's Spirit. So you'd see the kings of Israel, particularly the anointed ones, were anointed with oil as a symbol of God's, uh, God being with them, particularly in a particular way that would be anointed with oil. So there's a symbolic use of oil but there's also a practical use of oil oil was considered medicinal it would be used for pain relief treatment of wounds uh, and we do see this this usage in the story of the good samaritan so you know the the parable of the good samaritan there's a beaten man by the side of the road and the, the good samaritan goes and attends to him and anoints his wounds with oil and wine not because of some symbolic value but because of the medicinal value of that so what do we see well it's quite a key thing isn't it that that Attending to the sick in the Christian community uh, doesn't mean that prayer replaces uh, what we might call medical care. It works in partnership with it. Uh, And and depending on where you are in the world, you might lean towards one or the other. Uh, Here, I think we probably, uh, in our context, Christians here might spend more time... uh, up at the pharmacy or at the GP or the specialist trying to uh, attend to our, our physical uh, weakness uh, and less time in prayer, but not all communities are like that. So I've, I've mentioned before I've spent a number of years up in Arnhem Land, a community, in, an Aboriginal community in, uh, in Migneti, which is about eight hours uh, southeast of uh, Darwin, and chatting to the Christians there, um, it would kind of grieve me often because not that they were so prayer dependent, but they would not even take something as much as a Panadol uh, to, to ease any pain because it was all about prayer and, and you, that not going to health centres or health clinics because prayer was what was needed and it was a great encouragement to us that how little we pray but we see in this passage that prayer doesn't replace medical care. I think it's very clear that oil was not considered here just a symbolic thing. It was seen as a practical care, a way to care for the sick so we'll move on the prayer bit then what does it say here the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the lord will restore him to health now this is a bit of a tricky part isn't it what's it saying let's think about prayer and faith or the prayer of faith for a moment That's a key phrase i think this is where christians can have a range of views on what this means sometimes we can think the prayer of faith is kind of like the prayer of mental certainty in God, if that's, if that's the kind of way you might think about it. That is, for prayer to really work around a particular sickness, we have to sort of channel all our energy and not have a shred of doubt and know that God can do it. And that kind of prayer, well, that will make the sick person well. What does this, say, what does this mean then in practice? If this verse is saying that the prayer of, let's say, mental certainty in God will save the sick person, then whenever someone we pray for is not saved and does not get better, what does that then mean? Someone has not had enough faith, right? Uh, The reason I don't think uh, faith can mean that is because we know from examples uh, that faith in the bible that faith is not a simply mental certainty if that's the right phrase there's a great example uh, in mark's gospel where a man comes up to jesus and um, he wants his demon possessed son to be healed and jesus says to him everything's possible for him who believes and the man's reply is certainly not an example of mental certainty he says i do believe please help my unbelief right that's his reply and his son is healed that is he wants to believe but he's struggling with doubts he doesn't have that clarity but jesus heals the man's son right it can't mean that if we just trust god enough he'll provide healing uh, for those we know and love on a very practical level we and a sort of i guess a common sense level we know this can't be true because we know that everyone who was around the time that this was written are no longer with us that is, that is, at some point, did that mean everybody in history just stopped having enough faith? And then everyone dies of something, right? Every, every sickness, everyone dies of some kind of sickness. Does that mean every single person in history at some point just stopped having enough faith? I don't think that's how uh, the New Testament depicts the Christian life, that you sort of run out of faith, right? That's not how it... So it can't mean that kind of sense of... Uh, Intellectual certain trust in God will guarantee physical healing. Now, at a deeper level, we can see that a prayer of faith to be a genuine prayer of faith must put the outcome of that prayer in God's hands and not ours. And that's so important to note. If a prayer, if it's a prayer of faith and it's a prayer that expresses trust in God and not in ourselves, then we must entrust God also with how our prayers are answered. They're not a set of magic words or a magic mindset that will guarantee a particular outcome. It's not a magic set of words that will somehow command the power of God. Now, it is important to say at this point, the point of this passage is that God will use prayer to change actual circumstances. We see that in the example of Elijah. So he's not, it's not saying that prayer, the act of praying does nothing. That's the opposite of the point of this passage. But prayers are not a way to command the power of God and put ourselves in the position of God. We've kind of, kind of got the, the power of God at our fingertips because we've got the, this kind of mindset of prayer that's so focused that we can kind of do whatever, whatever God could do. It's kind of as if it's that kind of thing. Uh, Prayer is an expression of trust in God's purposes and we see this really clearly with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the most righteous man of perfect faith, begging his heavenly Father that if there was any other way, he wouldn't have to go to the cross. Now from our perspective, Jesus certainly prayed a prayer of faith in his suffering, he didn't doubt But from our perspective, he didn't receive the answer he desperately wanted in that moment to have the suffering go away. But it wasn't because of a lack of faith. It was because in his earthly life, in the constraints of his humanity he did not share the same complete knowledge that his heavenly father did of the purposes and plans. And there's a number of examples of that when it talks about the son of man doesn't know this. There's actually a, it's a strange thing to think about that in Jesus, in his perfect sinless humanity, actually there were things that he didn't know in his earthly life, which we don't kind of think about very often. There's a number of times where it says in his earthly nature, Jesus actually, his knowledge was limited. He didn't know the day or the hour, all those kind of things there was a sense in which this prayer of faith, Jesus' models, is seeking to hand over the outcome of the prayer to the one who knows best, knows who so much better than we do. And I think we know deep down we want prayer to work that way. And I think we can certainly see, that we, I guess, as adults, we might think, you know, it's times we think, I wish God would just answer my prayers the way that I... Ask him, right? I wish you would just answer, because I get prayer right. <laughs> I'm an adult. Now, just imagine, if you applied that logic to your kids, you'd kind of go, please, God, don't answer every single prayer my children ask, <laughs> right? Please, my children won't be in the same room again. You know, <laughs> my sister, can you make my... Si- you know, whatever it is, you, you know what it's like to, as an adult, to say, I re- I'm really glad that God doesn't answer every prayer that our children pray we know that right you imagine the world would be if somehow just by channeling a trust in god that we would get the outcome that we pray for every single time you might have looked back on your life for something you might have really wanted as a child or as a teenager or something like that and you might have prayed for it and you were very disappointed that god didn't give it to you and looking back you're so glad that he didn't If we understand this verse this way, that somehow prayer channels the power of God to get the outcomes that we desire on our hearts, it would actually be robbing prayer of its power. It would be putting the power of prayer back in the hands of the Christian rather than the hands of our Heavenly Father, which is what we're supposed to be doing, right? Well, then what is this verse saying? I think we need to start to see now the connection between Uh, what seems to be sickness, sin and healing, in verse 15 we read, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now again, the context here is the Christian community and it seems there is some level of physical sickness in the Christian community but there's also some level of particular kind of sin or division that's going on in the Christian community between members. You see there in verse 16, the confession uh, of the sin is not directed to God. It doesn't say, therefore, confess your sins to God and pray for one another. It says, confess your sins to one another. So there's a sense in which uh, there's there's a physical and spiritual sickness in this community and we see that uh, James already addressed a kind of division where he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He talks to his readers in that way. Last week, we read the exhortation. The brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. Don't complain about one another. There's a sense of a division there. There's a call to endure, to it, uh, endure suffering. Now, the, there are these two tensions, I think, when it comes to verses like this that we need to hold kind of in tension, Like a lot of parts of the bible the first is that the bible gives us a very strong warning about drawing too strong a connection between the physical sickness of an individual and that individual's particular sin so throughout the book of job who suffered incredibly with no apparent answer to his prayers his friends came in they counseled job that it must be due to a particular sin. That's why you're suffering this way. But the attitude of Job's friends—it's actually condemned throughout the book, because it's not directly connected to Job's sin, his suffering. And Jesus makes similar points in the Gospels, saying that it's actually not that when people are start, there's people who are trying to look at the physical suffering of some people who are you know whether a tower fell on them or different things, all these different examples. And he warns them very strongly not to draw. A, a straight line between somebody suffering and their particular sin. We can't do that. But we also know that sickness can sometimes be a result or a consequence of sin, particularly in a community. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, the Apostle Paul makes a connection between the sickness that's in the community and the fact that they're sick because they're not actually attending to their hearts and interestingly in this example and throughout the Old, uh, throughout the new testament the point is made that christians who are experiencing suffering sickness hardship are never described as being punished for their sins but they are described as being disciplined we read about that in hebrews chapter 12 we know that painful experience, don't we, of being disciplined for our own good, don't we? It can sometimes, and for a long time, feel like punishment. But in hindsight, we can so often see that, oh, gee, that was a wake-up call for my life. Maybe a wake-up call to change the way we were living. Now, it is difficult to discern the direct connection in this passage particularly between sickness and sin and we need to heed the warnings of drawing too strong a connection but what we do know if anyone has gone from health to sickness we're very aware aren't we when we have that uh, spiritual when we have that sense of physical weakness we're very aware of our spiritual state at the same time aren't we you know you hear people who are kind of healthy uh, healthy uh, people who can you know they that they don't need much sleep and they're kind of their their life they're traveling the world and suddenly for some reason they're in bed for you know a couple of months on a lying street and they suddenly suddenly feel like how dependent they are they're suddenly aware of their own mortality their own limitations their own weakness their own fact that they've got to be dependent on people outside themselves this passage i think is calling Christians in light of the physical sickness of members in the community to engage with our spiritual dependence on God. And we see what this looks like in verse 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now it's true that in our physical bodies, we'll get frailer and frailer and weaker and weaker as time goes by. We do know that. And we've seen how ridiculous it looks when you see Hollywood celebrities who've got lots and lots and lots of money trying to pretend that's not the case. You know, that they're not getting older and they're getting younger and all these kind of things. We kind of know what that looks like. It's ridiculous. No, the normal pattern is that our immune system goes, our mental capacity, all these different things. We do get frailer and frailer and weaker and weaker physically as time goes by. This passage is not promising a reversal of that. But we also know the promise that spiritually, the more that we deal with the reality of our sin and the sin in a community and come to faith in Jesus, spiritually, God's people get stronger and stronger. I take these verses are calling us as Christians to use the reality of the physical weakness to strengthen and restore us spiritually. It might be, like it seems to be the case in the situation uh, in with James's readers, that God uses some crisis of health in the Christian community to be a wake-up call, that we've been taking God's grace for granted. Now, I feel like we all got a bit of a wake-up call a couple of years ago with COVID, even though it wasn't uh, the fact that everyone got sick, but it was around physical... Uh, uh, it was around the... Um, the era of our physical health, that suddenly all churches and Christians around the world got got a wake-up call. Do I believe this or not? What does it mean to gather? What does it mean not to be able to meet each week? What does it mean uh, to to call ourselves uh, to trust in the God when when I've I've got to work from home, my job's changed? All these kind of things. There are wake-up calls that God uses all the time in different communities, often related to our physical health. And it might be that God answers these prayers by providing immediate physical healing. And we know that he does this, and we must continue to do this. I think if we take away from this passage that whenever anybody's sick with a physical thing, that we don't pray, I think we've missed the whole point. But the promise is very big. It's for big-picture healing, big-picture restoration, both physical and spiritual, in God's timing. There's the promise of saving the sick person... There's the promise of restoration of health. There's a promise of healing and forgiveness. But to be people who pray in faith, that real faith that trusts completely on God, God's timing, this prayer must give complete trust over to God and His timing for the answer. He might answer this prayer in our lifetime, in the moment after the prayer is given. It might take till eternity that we see it come the lesson today is for us to be people of radical prayer that expresses a radical trust in God, taking to God our pain, the pains of those around us, taking to God the things of our heart, but like the true righteous man praying, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray, Father. We bring before you this community here at St. Mark's. You know each of our hearts. You know our relationships. You know our struggles spiritually and physically. We ask.